Hi, you're listening to Saltgrass. My name is Ali Hanley. The following episode was first broadcast in March 2022 and were created in collaboration with the Castlemaine Commons Collective. For four weeks, Zoe Scolio shared with me interviews she had conducted with locals in which she explored the various ways community resilience has been fostered and practised in the past. Originally intended to be shared with the community during live events, with immediate community feedback and response involved in those events, the pandemic complicated that plan and so Zoe and I hatched the plan to present her audio pieces to a radio audience instead with the invitation that people might contact us or contact Zoe with their own thoughts and reflections on that. So you will hear us calling out to the radio audience to respond. We decided to share this with you, the podcast audience, because it's a really great little series of interviews that Zoe conducted and I think it's worth more people hearing them. I hope you enjoy listening to these. Wherever you hear the little musical insert of the guitar and bird sound, that's when we went to songs and radio sponsorship announcements and things like that. So I've cut them out for the podcast listeners, but the rest of the interview stands as is. I hope you enjoy these interviews that Zoe put together and the discussion she and I had around them. Hello, you're listening to Saltgrass, and we're going to meet Zoe Scoglio, an artist who has recently been involved with the Castlemaine Commons Collective, who you might remember, they ran a series of YouTube live events at the start of the pandemic, exploring all sorts of different issues that sort of came up at that time. They, they gathered many diverse voices and had extended panel discussions. And they've also been doing things since then in the community. And one of those things is something that's always been working on which is contemplating how best to serve our communities and collecting local stories of community organization and collective care. So Zoe's actually going to be joining me live in the studio not just today but for three more episodes through March and together we'll share some stories that she's collected, some audio and then explore some of the themes and ideas that emerge and threads that have come from these conversations that she's had with people. So As we share these, we'd really love to invite you, the listeners and our community to text in to us while we're live on the show, but also contact um, via the Castlemaine Commons Facebook page, or we're going to give you an email address soon as well. So if any of the stories or things that we're talking about um, in the next few episodes with Zoe make you want to share something, we'd love to hear from you. So we'll give you all those details a little bit later. But before we begin, as ever, I want to acknowledge that we're coming to you from Jara country, which is home of the Jajarung, who have been custodians and caretakers of this land for tens of thousands of years. Always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Salt of the earth people. Grassroots change. Salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Salt Grass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com. All right, Zoe, hi, welcome. Hi, Ali. 
so yeah, we're sort of creating these episodes, not really as a saltgrass series, but as a Castleman Common series, but saltgrass is just going to give you some airspace and, and I'll be here to have conversations with you um, over the next few sessions. So let's, let's start by talking about what even is it that we're talking about here? Like what is the project and how did it begin and kind of what was the thinking or the need behind it? Yeah, well, maybe I'll start by trying to describe what Castlemaine Commons is a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, do that. Who, um, a group of people who are all quite connected in different ways with different community organisations and they got together during when the pandemic began as a way of bringing people together in dialogue and sharing um, localised knowledges to find ways of responding and caring in times of crisis and then to think about how that might shift um, the way... We connect and live together going forward, um, especially with increasing precarity, um, with climate crisis um, and mm. things like this. So I um, came across the uh, Castlemaine Commons. I just uh, came back to Australia in a rush when the pandemic hit and all the borders were shutting because I was living in the Netherlands. And my parents have lived here in um, Castlemaine for almost 20 years, but I've never lived here myself. And it was a very strange time to arrive in a new place and try and um, make a home in a new place during endless lockdowns. But it was the um, YouTube series that they were broadcasting live with these conversations on Zoom were a really great way for me, um, locked up in our house, to connect and get a sense of some of the... um, amazing people in the community and ideas that were circulating. So I've um, just been helping out with the Castlemaine Commons uh, as a way to also get to know a bit more about the lay of the land here in Castlemaine and some of the great work that's going on. And I, as an artist, um, they brought me on board just to help think about creative ways to facilitate different conversations and expand ways of thinking about ourselves and um, ways we relate to the world and not just any artist your practice actually lends itself for you to be the perfect person to do this do you want to tell us a little bit about what your practice has been over the last like what you were doing in the Netherlands and just a little bit yeah yeah it's hard to do it in the concise way because my practice is <laughs> um shape-shifted um in different ways but yeah I don't know if I'm the perfect person but I definitely um come with a particular set of skills or interests um So a lot of my practice has been in response to ecological collapse and um, thinking about um, the sort of dominant ways in the West that um, we think about ourselves as being human and the separations of nature and culture and body and mind and the ways, uh, the normal ways that um, we categorise in the West, um, how we... Uh, exist and which many of us would just take for granted and not realize that there would be other ways of relating to your own body or relating to nature yeah as a being totally so Mm. a lot of my um work in the past has come back to these sort of foundational assumptions we have about what it is to be human um what is the world um that we're relating to and finding different ways to be together um bringing in different awarenesses and sensitivities using our different senses as well to to have uh, different awarenesses and to connect. So using sound and sight, um, the body, um, embodied knowledge is a big thing that um, I'm very interested in um, and um, finding ways to create different space for expanded dialogues to emerge. So um, for me, 
the details around how we and even begin or create space for different forms of, of awareness together is um, uh, a key interest of mine at the moment. Yeah, great. And so how did that tie in with what you started thinking about in terms of what Castlemaine Commons were doing? Yeah, so we um, we wanted to collect stories um, of different people's experiences of the pandemic in particular and what had been learnt uh, around the need to organise and care for each other and collectivise, um, especially in times of need. And uh, there was a strong desire to gather. And so the idea came about in one of the lulls between lockdowns where there was an inspired moment to get together in person rather than these endless online things where people were losing interest, um, understandably. Zoom became myself. incredibly tedious after yeah, a while, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, and there was such a desire to meet in person. So this yeah. was how I came on board was to... In, in this moment of visioning a collective gathering. However, um, lockdowns continued and so the project has sort of morphed and in the end I decided to uh, approach different people one-on-one and just have conversations and walks and talks to be able to ask and inquire into examples of localised community organising and forms of collective care um, that exist not only with the pandemic, but I was more interested in finding stories and examples of of community organising locally and um, through people's first-hand experiences that have happened historically or prior or in realms of um, groups of people that wouldn't necessarily think about climate or... Um, resilience or use those languages but you know in all sorts of forms of community organizing Mm -hmm. how what are the ways in which people organize the needs that are being addressed what are the benefits or how has care um, been uh, enacted in in these in these forms of 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 of, yeah community groups essentially absolutely yes it's such a great thing to think about because I think working in the climate space we were talking about all these things before the pandemic and there are definitely examples out there that are historical of, especially in times of societal stress, like the Great Depression or a world war or something. There are clear examples of when people really pulled together to help other people out and make sure the whole community came through. Um, but there's other examples through time that maybe are, are less obvious. But when the pandemic hit, it all really became obvious how important that stuff was. It's almost like as a society, we'd become a bit complacent about how safe we were and how you know, the government or someone would take care of us. And then the pandemic came in and we're all like, holy moly. I mean, what if everything collapses? It just made it so much more potent and immediate, didn't it? Mm. Which really opens up people to think about these things, whether it's immediate or in the past and what's worked and what hasn't worked. So Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And all of the um, knowledge that's sitting there, often latent or un- unacknowledged, because, um, you know, it wasn't that long ago that there have been depressions and wars and things like that. And so there's people there with first-hand experiences mm. um, of crisis in different ways um, and of dealing with threats or addressing needs mm. that have, um, yeah, forced them to organise in certain ways. And Yeah. Yeah. So what are some examples of the people that you've spoken to? Yeah, well, for me, it was really hard. There's so many people I want to speak to. I'm I'm looking forward to speaking to more people. So in many ways, it feels like the beginning of an ongoing process. And for me, it was also someone who's new to the area, wanting to get a sense of the lay of the land. And so really coming to this project in a space of learning and, and my own sense of learning to, to understand where I am. It's the first time I've lived 
in a regional context as well. And that was another element the pandemic taught us all of the need mm. also for these very localised knowledges, um, you know, in relation to these globalised also um, and planetary uh, problems and relations. Mm. Um, but an example, a lot of it was very um, uh, rambling in the sense that I would follow my nose through a connection of a connection for a person to speak to and because there was time between the conversations yeah. um, I've sort of gone in different tangents um, so one of the, the first person I spoke to was Carl Joost who's a local ecologist and I wanted to start thinking about community in an expanded way and so in this sense uh, looking at the the ecology here around Castlemaine and in particular he was telling me about the Eltham copper, copper butterfly and the beautiful symbiotic relationship that it has with the ants and the tree, the sort of bush that's endemic to mm. this region um, and so I guess as an artist I feel like I've got uh, maybe more freedom to go off in strange tangents that people might not normally allow themselves to go to mm. and I really love placing um, different stories that might not normally fit together together to see what what types of uh, different awarenesses might emerge. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Carl's story was really great and took me for a walk up um, to show me some of the sites and also talked about some of the land care groups that have formed to um, support some of the local frog species as well. And these layers of, of care, um, thinking about our community, not just for humans, but our community being the, the environment, the more animals, the, the trees. The greater um, than human community. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So that was the starting point. And otherwise known as ecosystems. Otherwise known as ecosystems. Of which we are a part. We yes. are not separate from the no, ecosystems. Exactly. Yeah. And so one connection with this, with the land care groups, was also looking at, you know, in caring for their species, there's also a community and a culture that forms within the land care group that also nourishes those people through connection and through friendship and Mm. uh, connection to place. So there's, yeah, layers there to sort of think about, you know, what brings groups together and what becomes possible when people collectivise and, yeah, different ways of extending care. Um, Great. Well, let's take a little break and have a couple of songs um, and then we'll come back and explore a bit more of who you've been talking to and how you found them and and what sort of threads you've seen emerging, um, which are all just little tasters for what we're going to give you in full over the next few weeks or the next month. Mm. Um, but if people want to text in, if you're already having thoughts about, uh, you know, community resilience or how people have come together, either historically or through the pandemic, um, please text in. We'll be on the main FM text line for the next 45 minutes. Um and after that, we probably won't see your text messages. So if you're going to text in, text in now. The number is 0488 863 Tap that into your phone and maybe save it because who knows when you're going to want to text into Main FM and tell them what a great song they're playing or what a great conversation they're having. <laughs> so the number again is 0488 863 and we will give you that number again after this little music break and what's the email address or other yeah, ways that people so if, can... um, as people are listening and if they get inspired to do so um, it'd be great to hear from you if you have any questions or yeah thoughts of examples of, of community organizing or care that you've been part of or um, have heard about so the email address is castlemainecommons at gmail.com great so you can tell us uh, any length of story that you'd like and potentially even 
we, we might read them out on future episodes if we feel like it weaves in nicely with some other themes that we're exploring. Um, but yeah, at the moment, we just love people to get in touch and, and let us know what you're thinking. You're listening to Saltgrass, and today I'm talking with Zoe Scolio, who has been working with the Castlemaine Commons Collective, which has been an amazing group of people working to sort of help us understand how our community is functioning, uh, really, at the moment. And Zoe's been working with them on a project uh, which has been involved interviewing lots of different people and groups from different parts of the community. And we've been asking people to text in with their own stories about how community resilience might have been happening over the last couple of years through the pandemic particularly but stories from whenever really and we did get Steph texting in and she said in our little section of Tewton we have started a whatsapp group with neighbours a place for sharing info and support and we have plans to map our neighbourhood with dams to share with the CFA which is really cool awesome because I know Tewton and so many places around here feel very vulnerable to bushfire risk so having collective communications and also working with the CFA is a really wonderful thing to do. Yeah, I think that's what's so interesting about this project and being in a regional context of um, learning and understanding the different needs um, in this type of environment um, for connection and for collectivising against certain risks such as bushfire. Yeah, that's right. Uh, So we did hear two songs there. The first was Arnie DeFranco's song Everest and then we heard another one which was your choice, Zoe. Can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, that was a song from Zelda Bakan who's a Turkish protest singer um, and really amazing. Uh, That song um, translates to write journalist write um, and um, is a call written in the 70s and a call for journalists to um, report on the majority working class people in Turkey rather than um, the elites, uh, Istanbul elites. Also, the internet tells me I don't speak Turkish, so I'm hoping that's correct. <laughs> I hope it wasn't something yeah, entirely different. Um, no, that was great. It's a, it's a good message as well. Uh, Okay, so we're going to have a chat now. We're going to keep talking about the different people that you have been chatting to and collecting audio of. And and some of these we'll be listening to over March when Zoe's going to join us um, every now and then across March. And we'll do shows like this where we listen to some of the audio and interviews she's been collecting. And we'll be asking for audience uh, and listeners to just tell us you know your reflections even or meandering thoughts or solid examples from your own communities of what you think's been happening and and mm. what it makes you think of um so we we spoke about um carl just and the uh, ecology kind of community mm. that we're surrounded mm. by obviously who who whatever sort of groups or people have you been talking to yeah so i um i might start by saying that i didn't foreground the pandemic because at that point it felt like we were so deep in it when these conversations were happening that it was almost too soon to reflect everyone was in that exhaustion mode and just surviving kind of getting by um so uh yeah and also this awareness that a lot of the resilience groups that did emerge in these times were often based upon pre-existing connections and friendships and communities so yeah uh the people that i approached um all a part of different 
organisations um, and also talk from a personal perspective. Um, so, for example, I spoke to Alison, who is the president of the one of the Castlemaine Country Women's Association, um, and it was great just hearing from her about um, her personal connection um, and reason for joining, as well as the origins of the Country Women's Association and the need for women who were living quite remotely in isolated ways to connect and the ways in which they lobby and the governance structures as well, um, networking the localised communities with a greater, you know, Australia-wide um, network of people. Because historically they've been incredible as an organisation and I don't think I ever realised, I always knew that, that they were out there and they did scones with jam and cream, you know, that's about it. But I didn't realise what a powerhouse they were through the Second World War particularly in terms of supporting our communities and even through the Great Depression, I, I believe, I don't know actually. <laughs> but I, I just, I remember thinking, ah, oh, at our society may well have collapsed without them. It felt like that important what they were doing. And mm. and these days I think that history is a little bit lost of of how fundamental the support they gave the communities was. Yeah. Yeah, I think it sounds like there's a lot of autonomy with each group to decide um, what sort of um, issues are important to them. And so uh, what I found fascinating as well is there's that element of shared learning like by getting together they educate themselves and they connect and support each other and through craft and through cooking and the like but they also raise money and advocate for certain issues um, as well um, which is quite amazing um, mm-hmm. the sort of multiple layers again of of, of benefit and of, of things going on and um, yeah embedding the politics I guess within things that give you joy and connection as well in your day-to-day life of mm-hmm. looking out for each other. Yeah, great. Um, I also chatted to Robin Anir, who is a local historian. So it was great. Robin had all these awesome examples of Castlemaine and surrounds, both during the Gold Rush era and around the Foundry time and different um, moments of lobbying and connection between council and the movers and shakers and different community groups advocating for certain infrastructure or for the train line or for certain things like that. So that was fascinating to see how community groups, you know, and grassroots organisations work with council or um, this sort of connections as well as uh, Robin talking about her own experiences of moving here um, Mm. and the different um, yeah groups she's been involved in great yeah I chatted to Wilson uh, who's a member of the Pioneers and Old Residents Association which was fantastic getting shown around um, the hall they have there next to the post office and the artifacts that they've got and the books they've been archiving a whole lot of stories that have been told about people who members of the organisation who had migrated to Australia from other lands, primarily Europe, and also his own experiences coming over without Medicare and social services, the different ways people would care for each other or um, organisations and friendly societies that emerged in his Mm. own experience coming over here as a young young person. Um, Yeah, so really different types of... um, Responses and conversations were had each time. We, I also spoke to Lorraine, who's a local artist and involved in many different community groups, including Mazdag, Mount Alexander, uh, Mount Alexandershire Disability Group, um, and the sort of modes of organising they've been doing and, and, yeah, the importance of living in a smaller town. And a lot of advocacy too. Oh, a lot of advocacy. Guys great yeah. for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So who are there... I mean, you were saying earlier that there's so many more people you'd love to have 
had the opportunity to talk to and I know you had limited time and limited kind of support or funding to make this happen who who would you love to have talked to and, and didn't get a chance to yet I mean the list is pretty endless I um I mean I haven't chatted to a First Nations person yet. I've been doing a lot of volunteer work and in dialogue um, with some of the people from Nalderan, which has been awesome. But everyone's so busy, it feels I felt like um, I didn't want to uh, take away their time. <laughs> but I think from what I've heard also from your conversation with Kath Koff a few episodes ago, um, who's the CEO of Nalderan and awesome person, Yorta Yorta woman and a researcher and, um, you know, Kath talking about the pandemic in terms of how well prepared the community was, their community was um, in addressing the crisis and caring for each other in a way that um, local services weren't and the sort of time it takes for bureaucracy to catch up. So, I mean, I think they have such amazing examples. Yeah. And there's much to learn. Definitely. First Nations people. So that's been very present in my my thinking all from the beginning yeah. um but yeah lots of voices i mean there's so many groups like the local scouts or fire brigade uh cfa groups um uh there's i think so many castlemaine it's quite overwhelming the amount of <laughs> organizations there are and the amount of people doing things that are really inspiring and mm. getting organized so it's quite overwhelming so i I've been enjoying also with these conversations just opening it up to see where it takes me rather than trying to direct it too much, but just Mm. sort of trusting my gut and um, opening up and just listening and connecting and seeing where that leads rather than trying to be too directive. And is there a, is there a rationale behind trusting your gut and, and not having like to have such a broad focus and try and catch so many diverse angles on this topic is that do you have a rationale for that or yeah I mean in general I've been trying to listen to my guts a lot more um and that because of digestive issues no but maybe a bit as well (laughs) I mean you know there's a lot of also you know um I'm fascinated by all of the research coming to light about our nervous system and the brain gut connection and um you know what is intuition actually and the sort of ways in which um yeah, our past experiences are imprinted in our body and the different ways we hold stress mm. and anxiety and trauma in our bodies and therefore respond in certain ways to certain situations. Respond viscerally. Yeah. yeah through our body. Yeah. yeah. So I think, um, yeah, having an emotional intelligence around one's gut, but also... Um, yeah, it's such, I mean, strange times we're living in. I could ramble a lot about this issue, but maybe in short... Um, Uh, As someone who works, who's been sort of trying to work between artistic spaces and the arts and and sort of organising also around areas of climate justice, which looks at the climate issue in a very intersectional way, in a systemic way, looking at every, yeah, justice and social issues um, as connected to Mm. um, climate uh, and environmental issues. Uh, There's a a need for expanded thinking um, and unlearning and not knowing, I think that's necessary in in ways of moving forward. And sometimes too often there is a, you know, understandable need for an urgency and a need for direct action. But I think to accompany that, there is also the need for slower, deeper listening and reflection, self-reflection. Um, and unlearning patterns of thought and behaviour. And so I think as an artist, maybe that's something that I am able to somewhat contribute or um, I'm also learning myself to undo my own 
patterns of thought and listen deeply to um, not rush into reproducing certain ways of doing things, but to go slowly and to, um, yeah, try and understand the details and the ways of relating that come out of a sense of respect and seeing what goes from there, happens from there. I think that's such an amazing and vital perspective to have. I think historically from my perspective as running this sort of sustainability slash environment climate kind of program, there's been so much scientific knowledge and rational knowledge about how to tackle climate change. And it's this problem where we actually know all the answers in a way. It's just about the problem has been and the slowing down of taking the action that needs to happen is political, human, cultural. And that's the unlearning that a lot of people have had to do in the climate movement is going, it's not just about giving people the facts and the knowledge and the comprehension on that cerebral level of what needs to happen. It's working with hearts and minds and changing society. And and I've even seen that in the local Wararak group, which was the ZNet group. And I've mm. done a couple of episodes on that in the past. And it's a group that's been working together for two years, pretty much through the whole pandemic. It started at the same time as the pandemic and at the same time as I started this show. Um, but a lot of different, it was a, an attempt to bring all of the different climate movements in our region together to have the same conversation. And as a participant in that, because I was working at the sustainability group at the time at MASC, it was really interesting to watch the conversations go round and round in circles as different people's priorities conflicted with each other. And this need for cultural change and for listening and for really bringing everyone to the table was often deeply frustrating to people who just knew the urgency of what we were facing in terms of climate change and how quickly we need to act on carbon and those fundamental sort of scientific mathematical kind of problems. So it's definitely something that I think what you were talking about in terms of unlearning, because often scientists are the people who feel like they know, they know, they know things like (laughs) they live in a world of facts and evidence and, and all of those things. But when you're working with humanity, it's a lot more subtle and difficult and there's often different lessons or pathways that you have to investigate slowly rather than quickly. Yeah. So I totally resonate with what you were saying. Yeah. 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 And it's great to get a glimpse because I've been hearing about the Wairak initiative um, from a distance and been keeping involved, you know, throughout this research project or, you know, since being here in Castlemaine as to what's kind of going on. Um, And it sounds like some really interesting work is being done in that space but yeah Mm. it's complex when you're talking about system change and you know how to do work on multiple levels at once and I think hearing you talk about that reminds me of something that I keep in mind as a tool for thinking is just that um you know using um both and logic rather than either or Mm. because often it's like it has to be this way or that way you know it has to happen now or but it's actually no how do they coexist like how do you do the slower deep work at the same time as the um you know immediate work and and how do you hold these contradictions that are you know you keep butting up against when um thinking through complex issues absolutely Um, yeah that's a great way to think about it the end rather than or mm, yeah or like an ecosystem in its own right like uh yeah. you know how do you what is it that you do and that you love and that you need um and how does that fit into the greater sort of map of action that's taking place 
Mm. Yeah, excellent. But yeah, you were actually one of the first people I wanted to speak to about this too, Ali, because <laughs> um, of all the people you've been chatting to through Saltgrass yeah. um, and your involvement in different groups like and as well, Mount Alexander Sustainability Group you were yeah. working for, is that right? Yeah, definitely. Is that, do you have time if I ask you a question? Yeah. Okay. I just thought I would remind people of the Main FM text in line. If anyone is having thoughts on this topic and they want to text us, they can text us on 0488 eight six three one eight six and you can also contact Zoe through the Castlemaine Commons email address or the Castlemaine Commons Facebook page. Um what was that email address? Castlemaine again? so yeah, Castlemaine Commons at gmail dot com or Castlemaine Commons on Facebook. You can um tell share us your stories. A story of, of yeah, community yeah. care, community action. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I've obviously been talking, yeah, I've I've been talking to a lot of people through the production of this show. And I think in the sustainability movement, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk about localization and collective, collectivizing and collaborating and building community. And I guess one example or a few examples uh, that have come up through this uh, the Warak initiatives is one which we were just talking about is this attempt to bring everyone together and have the same conversation and see how all these different groups can work together. Another one is the Yimbi project, which has only just launched, but I'm a participant as well as a keen mm. observer of it. And Lucy Young is one of the main organizers and she was involved in the Warak initiatives mm. and she's been involved in many amazing things over time including growing abundance and she works with the hub foundation quite regularly on really good sustainability and climate kind of projects and so she's a founding member as with uh, joel meadows and bill grant and they're doing this it's called yimby which is yes in my backyard and it's trying to connect people to their very immediate community so your direct neighbors within a block of your own home and they're inviting people who want to compost and want to learn how to compost really well to be supported by the Yimby group to collect buckets of compost from people who will not compost or do not compost or are not interested in compost or can't because a lot of people can't compost because of whatever you know reason they're too busy or they don't have the physical mobility it's quite a physically intensive task when you think about collecting the compost and also turning it and moving hay bales so that you can feed enough carbon into your compost all that stuff and a lot of people don't have time like they might chuck their scraps into a compost heap but they don't really know what they're doing which I will put my hand up I was that person as well so when I heard about this I a have had a long-term desire to know how to compost better and I thought this is my opportunity to learn from people who are doing it really well but also it's the opportunity to connect with your immediate neighbors and even if that relationship is only about compost, it's a crack in the door that later, if things are happening, we can talk to each other about other things that are happening in our community. And it, cre- it builds relationships and it builds trust. And it's, it's a beautiful way. It's kind of like these neighborhood resilience groups that have been talked about for so long. And I know the West End group has been really successful. Um, but for example, at the start of the pandemic, a few people in my local area were like, let's start a resilience group like West End. But it was already the pandemic and it just failed. Like we communicated, we tried to think about it, but we were all overwhelmed with dealing with a pandemic and our own lives and job insecurity and 
health insecurity and all of this stuff. And to try and reach out to people or knock on doors during a pandemic is a very challenging thing to do. And so our my particular region in Castlemaine, my hill, didn't it didn't really take off. Whereas I was looking at West End and I'm like, you know why that succeeded? It succeeded because they'd started over a year before the pandemic actually hit. They were able to have face-to-face meetings. They were able to look each other in the eye and have conversations and explore slowly what it's all about and talk about ideals and lofty kind of dreams of what neighborhood resilience could be. They were able to do all of that before the actual emergency hit. Mm. And I feel like that really showed me if we're looking at a climate insecure future that we need to start building community connection now if we want our communities to be resilient it needs to happen before we have bushfires before i mean i know bushfires are a risk every single summer but it became really apparent to me how important it is to do it before the emergency actually Mm. happens and also what community connections already exist yeah you know and sort of like building upon those um yeah relationships and Mm. well another example from my life just quickly is the brass band which has been running since 1885 it's been going for such a long time in this community and it's always for the people involved in the band it's been a massive community in itself and I know that and I was a member for quite a few years and I did drop out through the pandemic but um, I know that they were sending out emails to see who within their community they could support and there's a lot of older people who play in the local brass band the Thompson's Foundry Band and you know there was offers of meals there were people you know just because they already were a community they already we already knew each other's faces we already joke over the cup of tea in the break in the middle of the band practice and that's not a community you'd necessarily think of as offering resilience but any collection of people who have a like interest and who gather then become connected Mm, you know totally and I think it's sudden as you're talking, you know, about the things, the joy of eating together, of making music or whatever it is that you're doing, uh, that relationship between the doing and the being. Like, you know, when you're getting together for a certain future reason or um, it kind of feels like it's held much more strongly when you're also creating a culture and a sense of belonging um, through the, the act of meeting. Like, what is it that nourishes in the present moment? So it's not just always a future, we must do yeah. this, but actually what is it that we're getting out of it in the in the present moment? Yeah, and also who can we, who do we actually know and connect with who you wouldn't think of as being necessarily a friend, but it's someone that, that you'd sit with every Thursday and play music with, you know, and that's crossing boundaries, social boundaries that sometimes stop us from connecting to whole big chunks of who we actually share our town with. And share our resources with. Yeah. Yeah. And as a way of understanding different people's needs. I mean, climate for some, you know, can be an abstract concept for some people. I mean, and very much not for others with the threat of fire and increased sort of heat and um, weather uncertainty. But, Mm. you know, there's also so many immediate needs that people need to be met. And so it's also sort of understanding that whole um, spectrum of of needs on personal and collective levels that um, also are very integral um, when thinking about climate. Mm. Welcome back. You're listening to Saltgrass. And I've got 
Zoe Scolio in the studio and we've been talking so far about how communities gather and collect and coalesce and all the different ways that can happen in um, hopefully supportive ways and Zoe will be joining me over the course of the month of March uh, several times with some audio interviews that she's collected on this theme Um, but right now we have Steph in the studio with us hi Steph hi hi Hi, Zoe hi Ellie Steph is the manager here at Main FM and we just thought we'd pull her in even though she dragged me away from that grant application (laughs) (laughs) massively busy and doing so much for the station as ever but Steph you uh, hopefully can have a chat to us about how Main FM has yeah um, I'll just speak um, rather quickly because I know we're nearly out of time but uh, a few things that I can talk about that the station has done in terms of resilience and in response to the pandemic to just be able to continue operate they've set up remote loading and broadcasting so to enable presenters more easily to uh, record from home and upload their shows remotely yeah because I know a lot of radio stations have really struggled to know how to help to keep their programs running through the pandemic because a lot of people didn't feel safe coming into a room Mm. that 20 different people might use in a single day. Yeah, because we have, uh, you know, over 100 active volunteers. And so even though it's a a small space, there's a lot of people that come through this space every week. And so that was, I think, Steve Steve Charman and, and, um, and Scott Sanders that helped set up that system and then other systems that were put into place were just ways of communicating with each other through Facebook presenters group and the WhatsApp group. What else? What else did I talk about just before? <laughs> <laughs> we had a little chat off we did, air. We did. And we were talking uh, about Main FM's position not only for its own community yep. to support the community of presenters, which, as you just yeah. said, is over 100 people, but also Main FM's position in the community at large and yeah. what Main FM's been able to do. Oh, that's right. So the, it was through through the beginning stages of the, of the pandemic that the Lowdown segment was created, which is every weekday morning between 8.45 and 9 a.m., which is a focus on community news um, and activities. And I think this was created purely as, uh, as a response to the need for up-to-date local information and that's continued through and has been a great resource and I think that Main FM has really been a source of strength and support for the community and really sort of helped with uh with resilience Mm. um yeah definitely I I know for a fact that a lot of people listen and back when I was doing the breakfast show for example Mm. here on Main FM there was definitely people listening who they they said very clearly in their feedback to us and their comments and their you know yep. that we were the the shows the various shows on main fm were a, a very strong part of how they felt yeah. connected to community and they felt like they had people with them even when they were alone yeah well we've actually uh so we've we've lost revenue funding because we haven't been able to all of our events and fundraising events have been cancelled uh, as have all the events but we've actually managed to grow our subscriber base and our listener base and i think that's purely because we have been a, a connecting force amongst the community and plenty of um, presenters have spoken about how their listeners have communicated with them through facebook and on the text line about how it's got them through lockdowns yeah so yeah absolutely when everyone's isolating at home to have the local radio and yeah and voices that you know and i I think it's something that everybody here at the station can be really proud of yeah salt of the earth people grassroots change Soap grass.
Listen to all episodes of Saltgrass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com.